electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, who's back. David Faber at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. What a morning we have on tap. The RMIPO, China cuts reserve requirements, ECB hikes, UAW strike deadline, and the Ecodata runs hot from retail sales to PPI. We've got oil above 90 for the first time this year. We're going to begin, though, with this year's biggest IPO, Arm pricing its offer at 51. That's the high end of the projected range and valuing the SoftBank-owned chip designer at $54.5 billion, fully diluted. Arm, whose customers include Apple and NVIDIA, looking to ride this AI wave, listing on the NASDAQ today under ARM. And David has this exclusive with Renee Haas and Masasan in just a few moments, right, David? Yeah. Uh, you know, listen, pricing, as you say, 51. Uh, my understanding is that um, they could have gone 52. That's what I've been told by any number of people. Uh, but Masa said, let's do 51 with the prospect, Jim, that that at least will position it better for some sort of positive open. And that's important here, given the importance of ARM to the overall IPO market, given the size of this offering, the focus on it. And the fact that we are expecting more to follow, if it doesn't perform well, that might leave a not particularly good taste, so to speak, in investors' uh, mouths. Um, I'm hearing, you know, the hedge funds have been pared back, long only, sovereign funds have stepped up and converted from what was interest to actual buying power. So we'll see how it performs, Jim. On the fundamentals, listen, it's, it's highly valued, uh, at least based yes. when you look at the last 12 months. Obviously, it's about the future, and that's what they've been focused well, on. Well, it's interesting you talk about the long only and obviously these anchor tenants. The anchor tenants themselves are not going to be held to, I paid too high for something. I paid 100 times versus, say, Cadence and Synopsis, which are my comps. Uh, and you need that because, remember, if you, if you get at 51, you get you got to be able to sell it at 58. I mean, there's got to be some upside. And, David, even at 51, it's expensive. Yeah, it, it's not cheap, uh, but it may very well be the way it trades today is much more about supply demand than it right. is about f- underlying Absolutely. fundamentals, which we'll sort out over time. Um, well, will you, uh, when you speak to Renee, Renee, I don't think is, I think Renee wants a good deal, Renee Haas, the CEO. He does not want a high valuation. He wants people to be rewarded. And I think one of the, one of the problems, David, is that uh, the very small float might pop big and we don't want that no that yeah you know you want to sort of leave everybody feeling good but right leave something well, on they the just table. said that there's got to yeah. be some happy medium Carl, the bad deals are the ones that open up huge and then retail people get picked off the use market orders uh, well, what are the key examples that you think of when you look at that scenario well i mean we didn't know well first there's facebook which who the heck knew well, what I, that was gonna be yeah. but we had uber where you had people who uh really wanted out that we didn't know and we had uh, individuals who wanted in, and it left a bad taste with everybody. You want to grab that? Yeah, I'm going to grab that. What's the other, well, David take, mentions the, the underlying fundamentals. The other story is no, the migration we're, we're from smartphones to data center, and then uh, royalty rates 
royalties are, are, are tough because they tend to go down. I was struggling with whether Qualcomm shouldn't be the comp, and that's very low value because it's, there's so much that's cell phone. David, you know this thing has really has to have a lot of uh, of NVIDIA-like business in order to be able to get the higher valuation. Without a doubt. I mean, AI is the future that they've discussed in terms of adding that layer of growth that I think is going to justify not just a price of 51, but perhaps uh, growth from here. Uh, as the guys said, of course, we have had a chance to sit down and speak with Renee Haas and Masa's son. Um, and I want to play uh, for you and talk about this you know, is very exciting. The uh, the opportunities that Mr. Haas sees for this company again, priced at fifty one, won't begin trading. By the way, most likely for a few hours. Oh, from, from now. I'm coming back. All right, you come back. Okay, thank you. Take a listen. So, arm of uh, 2023, uh, returning to the public markets, we're a very different company than we were in 2016, uh, when we were largely associated, as you said, uh, with mobile. And the important thing to think about Arm or remember is that uh, we were born uh, from building a device that was going to run off of a battery. So that sensibility about power efficiency is, the, is in the DNA of our engineers. So fast forward to 2023, when you look at the diversification of our markets, cloud data center, automotive, everything with EV and automotive, these require extremely power efficient processors or CPUs, which is what we do. So, whether it's the data center, obviously around sustainability, you want to have as much low power as possible. Again, back on these cars running off batteries. It's a great place uh, for ARM to really grow our business. And that's what we did in the years being private uh, between 2016 and now. We diversified our business. We've got significant growth in the cloud data center and in automotive. And then with AI, uh, AI runs on ARM. Uh, it's hard to find an AI device today that isn't ARM-based. Uh, Google Alexa, excuse me, Amazon Alexa, for, for example, that device, which uh, does voice recognition, et cetera, that's AI. And what we see happening going forward is products that didn't have a CPU to run AI, they'll need AI. Uh, you might need more CPUs uh, to run more complex AI. So we see just huge growth opportunities there. What is running generative AI, though, is more GPU and is obviously all produced by NVIDIA. Uh, there is a relationship there. Obviously, you once worked for the company as well. but. Um, investors I've spoken to would like to see a lot deeper relationship. Is it your expectation that you're going to sell more to NVIDIA? Because they're not that large a customer. So NVIDIA today is doing obviously a lot around AI, generative AI and training. Their latest product that they announced, the Grace Hopper uh, Superchip, which is their accelerated GPU for AI training, now uses 72 ARM CPUs as the core CPU in that. Remember, no type of accelerated training for AI can run without a CPU. So now the combination of the ARM CPUs with NVIDIA GPUs, uh, we think will be even more growth opportunity for us going forward. Well, you know, when, when investors looked at your S1, for example, and or your recent numbers, they didn't see a great deal of growth year over year. Uh, and yet you're pointing to much more significant growth next year over this year and even after that. Why? The year-on-year -year growth was, was not that great, as you said. But if we look backwards uh, for the last three years as we've pivoted our strategy, we're about 15% year-on-year growth going forward, uh, excuse me, for the last three years. But going forward, again, when you look at these mega trends of efficiency, software, complex AI, all having to run off batteries or low-power devices, this is huge growth for us. And again, David, you know, Grace Hopper is a great example of the kind of devices that can only be built on ARM. Masa, it wasn't that many years ago that you were selling this company to NVIDIA, uh, or at least had plans to sell this company to NVIDIA. 
That obviously did not happen. The price tag then was $40 billion. A lot of it was made up of NVIDIA stock. What has changed between then and now? We did not want to really sell ARM. Uh, it was the COVID that uh, made me really um, you know, go into the protective mode. So I had to go protective mode and uh, I had to choose the uh, more conservative, uh, careful uh, operation of SoftBank. So, so that uh, we were selling to NVIDIA, but the deal was actually one-third cash, two-third was exchange of NVIDIA share as a combined company of NVIDIA and uh, ARM. I believed in the future of uh, NVIDIA back then, and it was right. Uh, and I believed in the combinations of the power of the two companies would be enormous. Uh, I, I believed in the future of AI, and it's really now getting proved. And this is the beginning of big AI time, and uh, ARM is going to have a big role in that. Uh, we're going to share a lot more from that interview, obviously including uh, Masa's belief in AI, and talk about some of the missteps that have taken place as well. You know, Jim, as you know, if that NVIDIA deal had gone through, they would have benefited enormously given the two-thirds well, that would have oh. been the stock. That said, he bought the stock, if you guys remember, back in 17 and then sold it not that long after. Again, a real opportunity. I would point out one other thing, which is that I believe when they bought ARM in 2016 for $32 billion, they could have bought all of NVIDIA for 27 Well, $27 billion was the market cap of NVIDIA at that time. So... Um, when it comes to AI, and, and Moss and I discussed this, and we'll share it with everybody, uh, you know, he was talking about it ad nauseum four years ago, five years ago during our last interview, and yet they haven't benefited as much from it as you might have thought, given he certainly had the right viewpoint. It just took a while to get there. Well, do you think, David, one of the reasons why he may not have benefited is, is that they're so dominant in cell phones that you end up saying, you know what, they're doing okay in AI, but they're a cell phone uh, CPU company. And now, the, there's some Grace Hopper performance. I know that sounds like a strange name, but they, this is Jensen. And he was, so you've been talking about Grace Hopper, and so was, so was Renee Right, Haas. well, because the, the te- there's this, I don't know if you, an app, an app called ML Perf that does these absolute testings, and the Grace Hopper's by far the fastest. Also, you know, it's not hot. But the big win here was when they dislodged Intel and dislodged AMD, and yet there's Intel as an anchor tenant. Mm-hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Like what? Why? Why not get as many anchor tenants as you can? I mean, they no, still do Intel, a lot for Intel. Intel got aced out. They still do a lot for it. They do. They Arm, still do a lot yeah. for Intel. But I just come back and I just say, look, if we want to make this into an AI company, there's a hundred other companies that we can make into AI companies. And I don't look, and I was out there at Salesforce. Carl, everyone wants to present themselves as, as an AI company. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you get into the nitty gritty, you know, but Bank of America is an AI company, and that could be real because they have, they're graded on efficiency. Uh, not, so then, in other words, the real win is on gross margin, not on growth. And that's a really important consideration. We all want growth. We don't care as much about gross margin. But so far, AI is about gross margin, making it cheaper. They find out who's efficient. Yeah. And, you know, and frankly, attrition on people who are coders. It's interesting, you know, some of the, the reaction to uh, certainly Oracle's quarter and Dreamforce today is that the promise is there, 
the execution part is really cloudy. Very cloudy. And that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan's take on Oracle yesterday, for example. Well, look, I, I, I thought that there's, we have Oracle World next week, so let's just see what Larry said. Larry Ellison says. Let, 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 let's see what Sefricott says. I, I had Laura Alber on last night from Williams-Sonoma. Now, I know it sounds like, well, wait a second, it's just not the retailer. But they're a digital-first retailer. So they are actually, they have the data. Yeah. They have data worth mining. Most companies don't know what the data is, but the real data use is trying to figure out real-time insurance pricing. And, or also, you know, what's it, what do you, how do you price a beach house? Well, let's just look at all the beach house properties in America and find out how to price it, because we don't want an outlier who then wipes out all of our, uh, all the money, all the, you know, all the savings we have. And that's the kind of pro se, I mean, I have to tell you, AI is incredibly boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what, what's the use case? Well, I'm going to talk to, oh, to Frank Sloop, and he goes, I, I, you know what it is? It's auto finance. That's like, it's whoa. plastics. That's um, the use case. Plastics. There's a lot of use case. No, you but wanna, no, you wanna, they're You want an AI company? We can talk about no, Microsoft. How about that? Well, okay. That. All right, but it's not exciting. And co-pilot. Co-pilot's going to be very exciting. Uh, everybody tells me, Jim, it could be your co-pilot. I said, like, I, that's my, my wife's a co-pilot. She doesn't cost me anything. They had a developer conference yesterday in New York. Microsoft. My wife? No, Microsoft. Oh, Microsoft about, yeah. with Stocks talking on. about Copilot could be available very soon. Yeah. And, and oh, this really? is why you said so much is riding on Adobe. Oh my God, tonight is so big. It's because it because Oracle was a miss. Adobe has to be a hit. Uh, there's a ton of news to uh, to get to. As we said earlier, the clock is ticking for the UAW and the D3 as this potential midnight strike looms tonight. <sighs> Plus, in the next hour, Sarah's going to sit down exclusively with Citadel's Ken Griffin, talk about everything from markets to the Fed to education. Futures have been holding in there, even with some of the swirling around on the hot data today. Retail sales up six-tenths, looking for one-tenth. More Squawk on the Street when we come back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Tension in the auto business today. The UAW and Detroit's big three remain far apart in negotiations. Union is preparing to strike at midnight. This is what the president of the UAW, Sean Fain, said last night about the talks. We're making progress at each of the three negotiating tables. But as you just heard, we're still very far apart on our key priorities. From job security to ending tiers from cost of living allowance to wage increases, we do not yet have offers on the table that reflect the sacrifice and contributions our members have made to these companies. To win, we're likely going to have to take action. 
And just as we have approached our negotiations differently than we have in the past, we are preparing to strike these companies in a way they've never seen before. Oh, Jim, you said uh, Ford does have the best offer. Uh, I think a 20. Well, I'm going to posit something. I, the man you saw just now, I think, is a paper tiger. He's coming in and saying, well, they've never seen anything like it. I think there's a nuclear option on the table if he's not careful. And that nuclear option is a country called Mexico. You don't hear about it much. But if you say we're intransigent and we're going to stay at 40 percent, there's no give. Well, you know what? Monterey, Puebla, Corretero. There's the capacity to have that happen, not overnight. Mercedes, Mercedes did it in two years. Two years would be a long time to. Why? Uh, they don't have that much demand. You put that out there and you say, listen, all the new, you want to know where the new ones are going to be made? We're going to continue to make the old ones. But Pueblo's got a 55,000 person factory for VW, and they got a good educational workforce. It's $5 an hour, no real pollution control rules, that's not to be mentioned. Have free health care. So, you know what? You want to play ball? You want to keep doing this? Mexico. Glad to see you're standing up for the American worker here, Jim. Thanks for that. Well, no, I'm, I was a union member twice. One was completely corrupt when I let a wildcat strike and was fired. Oh, okay. That was not good. But in this case, you seem to believe that the automakers have Well, I just think that this man, hand. this man, and I like, you know, the union, you could say that they're way behind, the wages aren't the same uh, as well, how well his point would be that they have barely kept up, they haven't kept up with even but the pace 20%, of inflation since So you go to 25. Go to 20, I mean, are they not, is he not satisfied with 25% increase? I think most of America says, Ford's the most unionized company in America. It is. What about the way that they say they're going to strike, which would be not across the board? Well, but Stellantis specific. is the one yeah. that you want to go up to. Oh, you mean targeted factors? Yes, targeted factors. So you target the F-150 because it makes a lot of money, the F-150 hybrid. You know, they can build a hybrid very easily in Monterey. Uh, B of A took a crack at that, what they're calling a standing strike, where you go after individual facilities. Right. Uh, their argument is um, it'd be very difficult and inefficient for any of the operators to, to coexist with that. So they see likely, if, that, if it goes that way, makes sense to shut down, uh, lay off the workers, and uh, restart if and when you get a deal. Well, look, I, I think this man, I would not say that Sean Fain is a paper tiger had they You been, just said he was a paper tiger. No, I said I wouldn't say if they had raised oh, a lot of money sorry. in a strike fund. Their strike fund is five weeks. Well, they could pay you $500, $600 a week, and then you're out of money. People like to get paid. You can't hold out. I mean, these guys are not so like you're just running basing backs. It solely on they're the not, fact that right, they're not like those. a running back who's going to hold out and get a big deal. There's no big deal if you hold out, and you've got to put food on the table. I'm just saying that Sean Fain, when you listen to him, he sounds like he's the president of the United States. No, president of something higher than the United States. He's not, and he won by a very slim amount. And I have a factory in Mexico. Let me tell you something. It's fantastic. Well, but my wife does. We are going to hear from the president later today on yeah, economic policy. Uh, I imagine this might get discussed. When we come back, a lot more of David's exclusive with Arms Chief Rene Haas and Masasan on this big IPO day for Arms. Stay with us. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 
Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Time for our mad dash. Of course, we have an opening bell about seven minutes from now. Let's talk a little Amazon. Well, this Morgan Stanley note basically just says, David, we're at day one of gap profitability, $5 of earnings per share. This is a note which is basically saying that management has figured out how to make a lot of money again, kind of 2019, on retail. David, you know, this thing hit, a, this thing hit its high issue. Jassy's in his prime. Jassy's back. Now, Jassy got his head beat in by the Cowboys, but that's okay. You see, because I'm an Eagle fan. I think he's struggling to deal with that. But he's not struggling to deal with the workforce. He's not struggling to deal with, with the, uh, the thing that I most challenged him on, which is how do you make money with so many hundreds of thousands of people? Well, they're doing it. Return to 2019 North American retail margins, ex-ads, would add $12 billion of EBIT, resulting $5 plus earnings per share. This is a remarkable, uh, this is a remarkable set of numbers of what Amazon could do, and but it, all it really does is explain how this happened. Yeah, I mean you're talking about a significant move up. Right. So it's a justification of the move more than it is, I think, another reason to buy it because it's been up a huge amount. But uh, they do say 20 to 60 percent upside. That's a wide range. I'm pulling out a wide range. It is a wide range. No, and no mention of AWS, which is still the profit well, engine of the company. It, it, this is not an AWS piece, to be honest. It's about a lower shipping fulfillment. It's much more boring, David, and not a lot. It's all about efficiency. And, David, no matter what I do, I can't shoot more an AI into this. I'd love to. Oh, I can. What AI is going to be able to do for robotics in the, in the um, distribution centers is going to be going to be enormous over time. Well, that could be. You talk about those hundreds of thousands of employees at Amazon. My guess would be well, over no, time I mean, to the extent, and they're always ruthless. I, I think that's right. I mean, they can replace them. They will. Right. That's why I mean, I'm not saying they did not use AI in this, but yeah, that's about replacement. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We uh, got an opening bell a few minutes from now. By Are the way, we going to have more of the interview with Renee. Thank Hosley? you for asking, because in fact, yes, we've got all your bases covered on that IPO. We'll have a lot more of that exclusive with the company's CEO, Renee Haas, uh, as you see him right there, getting ready to ring uh, the opening bell at the Nasdaq. Um, and we'll also talk to Moss's son, of course. Remember, SoftBank will still own 90 percent of ARM once it begins trading, actually owns 90% now because 10% has been sold. We're back right after this. It's going to be a busy open at the NASDAQ where ARM is getting ready to ring the bell in celebration of its IPO, biggest of the year. We've talked a bit about uh, the deal, the the offer this morning, Jim, but impact on the broader markets as well. Look, if we get a a deal that's done right, as David said, I think that there's a bunch of new, a bunch of IPOs in the queue. Now, we know Instacart, that's uh, a no-brainer. But what I think is in Birkenstock, but if we get a good deal, I, I think there's going to be calls to companies, even like I had Discord on, you'll see that uh, in an interview, this is a disruptor. Look at the CNBC disruptor. What the heck is that? It's uh, it's England. It's the UK, right? It's in the UK? UK? Holy cow. Other than the royal wedding, I've never seen anything like that. I know. I know. Well, this is a big day. It's going to be a a public company. Renee's obviously got one key shareholder, that being Moss's son, 90% owned by SoftBank. SoftBank selling these shares, remember. Um... But uh, still, will control the company. Uh, they tell me they talk ten, ten times a day. Ten times a day. Ten times a day. About what? That was the end of our interview. A lot of times. A lot of times I don't about Moss's calling, calling Renee a lot. Yeah. It's a short conversation. 
I don't know what to say about that. Stop trading. I, mean, I, talk, I, don't, I, I haven't talked to anyone 10 times a day other than Regina Gilgan, my chef commissioners, for bad money. What do, you, what do you have to say? Like the eighth call, what do you say? How's it going? It's happening? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Let's do this. Get the opening bell at the NASDAQ, as we said. It is on. Largest IPO of the year, UK-based uh, ship design company. At the Big Board Lab Corp, celebrating its Investor Day as well. Good, because we need, that's the area where I expect most of the deals. We need biotech. There's been very few biotech deals that, I mean, we did the Horizon, they did okay, they did okay, it's Orbs, and we need some IPOs, biotech, badly. That's where the queue is supposed to be longest. Lots of companies needing money. Uh, David, I think that you ought to put this deal in perspective about how really big this arm deal is in terms of the history of IPOs in the last few years. Yeah, listen, I mean, at four and a half plus billion dollars, five billion, it's a, it's a big offering. Um, we will see how it trades. And again, it's not going to trade for some time. It's not going to be open, but they've broken syndicate and uh, um, it is well placed is what I understand. Uh, hedge funds getting cut back is usually good. a good thing because they like to get out of it very quickly. So if you get it into more hands of uh, the sovereign funds, family offices, long onlys, uh, you tend to see it trade less or at least sell less. And, you know, maybe there's some buying power behind it. That's the hope of the underwriters. You see the $54.5 billion valuation. We've talked a lot about that. Of course, when you look at that number at the bottom there, $549 million, I mean, that's, you know, last 12 months, that is one hefty multiple. It's too much. hundred times. But it's too expensive. That versus said, they are talking about mid-teens growth now. But synopsis right? and cadence have faster growth, and they're nowhere near a hundred times. Right. But that's that. they say that was depressed to a certain extent as well. Right. It was and back, they had they certain had customers that overordered during the course of the year because they thought it was actually going to be owned by NVIDIA. And so they were worried that's that NVIDIA point. would start competing with them. And that didn't happen, obviously. There are some of the key investors here. They're very happy with that, as you might imagine, that so many of their but customers... But every one of those companies is willing to pay 150 times earnings. It doesn't hurt their performance. No. I mean, you, you, um, if you're, uh, if you're a only fund, you have to have some upside. You can't just pay the, the price and then have it sit there. I mean, the idea is that 51 opens at 58, with, and immediately or, they say, listen, we're even, up on it. Or, yeah, 52, 53, right. and then up over time. Right? But you I want just see stability. They sopped up a lot of it. There's not a lot of... Uh, here, all right, let me tell you what I'm, I'm scared of. That people at home see, wow, arm, that's really great. They say, I, I'm willing to pay anything. And then next, you know, you have a $60, which I think that's ultimately where you could get for just way too expensive. We'll have to wait and see how it how it performs. And again, it's going to be a few hours, most likely, Jim. We'll see. But these things on the NASDAQ tend to wait some time, uh, Why is Carl, it? before they before they let them start trading. Goldman likes to wait. Uh, we'll, we'll watch it. Obviously, a lot to chop in the meantime, Jim, yes. uh, including the fact that every sector is green in the face of yet another hike, sure. 10 in a row from the ECB. It is. The ECB is a little surprised there. I, I have to tell you that the big outlier day was uh, I, I think that we saw some really uh, crazy trading on Tuesday, uh, some bad tech. Uh, we will not, we will be up tomorrow on tech if Adobe blows it away because that is actual EPS AI. Because Shantanu uh, and Orion, and by the way, a lot of, when I always ask who's ahead, who really understands it besides like the insurance company, and say you know who's actually making money on it. Yeah, it's Adobe because they interface with a lot of companies that need to know what interests customers. 
and AI allows you to figure out whether customers like blue or red. I mean, that's what, you, know, you have to have a background, you can change it. And Adobe offers, prob, uh, this Firefly is one of the most, I, I, you know, I, I asked my daughter to beta Firefly because she's a designer. This thing's incredible. It, it is miraculous. So that's the miraculous AI, is Adobe. And I think Shantanu can blow it away. But remember, it blew away last time. The stock was up 20 in the after hours and then was down the next day. So the stock is up $50 right. in a straight line. Uh, the uh, bulls are looking past the warning out of Delta today. Uh, what is this, the third one in the so last looking two past days? To, wait, to get to the Southwest warning? <laughs> move on to uh, Spirit and uh, AAL yesterday, Jim. Although um, Etsy uh, doing extremely well on this uh, upgrade from Wolf. A nice catch-up. People have been saying, geez, I guess Etsy's lost its way. I don't think it has. I think that uh, th- this is a company that just did not rebound post-COVID the way others did. And it's been... You know, everyone's kind of tired of buying Airbnb, so now they're buying Etsy. It's one of these rotations. I don't think that you saw it in industrials, by the way. Everyone was buying Eat because it had so much involved with energy save. Uh, come out of the Laguna conference, a very important Morgan Stanley conference, and suddenly they like Honeywell, and they've decided they don't like Eaton. So in favor, out favor, in favor, out favor. It's almost as if there's just this vicious rotation within sectors about what's hot and what's not. Um, guys, Netflix is down again. It was down uh, late session yesterday. Margin stated. You had the CFO, Spencer Newman, appearing at the B of A Media Communications and Entertainment Conference. Again, this was yesterday, and the stock did end yesterday down. Um, uh, you know, some concern about, as you say, margins, margins, about the advertising tier, perhaps, and or their password, right, that password sharing crackdown. Um, you know, I don't know, Jim. I'm curious to get your take. Uh, look, I was kind of, my breath was taken away. You I mean, took away my 2025 upside. I, it was a reset. Uh, you think it was that significant? Yeah, I do. Well, I, here's why. Because the CF, CFO's a total hitter. I mean, he's very much involved with every aspect of Netflix. And this was a sense for someone who's a really bull on bull Netflix. I said, geez, I got to back down a little. I mean, I'm, re- I'm reading a, 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 a summary of some of his other points, though, and a lot of it seems to be quite positive. Uh, 90% plus of member growth is outside the U.S. International mix likely to be slightly dilutive overall, but highlights um, Asia-Pacific, largest growth region. Right. Um, very bullish as well on the long-term opportunity of advertising, big commercial incremental revenue, profit contributor to the business. Um, you know, don't think it's prudent for the company to keep growing at three percentage points of margin per year, given that would probably constrain the business too much on the growth opportunity. And that gets to what I guess well, is your I concern. mean, uh, I'm looking at the truest pieces point, where I thought was really good. Average average revenue per member. Uh, company reader arm is unlikely to be a driver of growth in 2023. Yeah. Might be there in 2024. How about this, that uh, where there could, this is the most important cellular, where there could be downside to our model. 2025 operating margins, uh, they don't think are good. It's like, wow, you know, I, Netflix has been such a strong performer. Uh, elsewhere in media, you had Charter saying that uh, cancellations weren't as bad as they had anticipated uh, going into the dispute uh, with Disney. Uh, and then you got, like, Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore now restarting their shows. Well, uh, some splintering, at least, among solidarity on the writer's side. Well, did you find it quizzical that, no, that very few people seem to care that Monday Night Football was, <laughs> Monday Night Football's been on since, what, 19... 19- 1968 or something. I don't know. There's an actual number there with Cosell. I'm sorry, with Meredith Cosell. But I was just blown away by the numbers. 
maybe Char, maybe it really was down to the wire and both sides knew we got to have that Monday night game on. There was a lot of excitement to it, but what I was pulling, I mean, NFL continues to be the thing that people want to see. Uh, let's see the numbers tonight for, uh, this is an Amazon game, Eagles, Vikings, Thursday night games are so awful. Yeah, I think, I think Al's, tough, uh, Al's on the, uh, the half today, is he not? Oh, is he? Al Michaels? I think so. Yeah. It's pretty cool, Al. Um, all right. Our focus, of course, continues to be as well on um, this enormous IPO that's taking place. Important for SoftBank, important for ARM, but also important, broadly speaking, for the IPO market, which, of course, is coming off a year ago, that a year that was just dreadful. I mean, virtually no real public offerings of note. That's changing a bit right now as we get ready as well for Instacart uh, very soon. Um, I did have an opportunity to sit down with Renee Haas, ARM CEO, and SoftBank's Masa, um, who will continue to control 90% of the shares. And by the way, bought back some of those shares from, um, from the Vision Fund at a value of $64 billion. One of the concerns amongst investors is the company's reliance on China. It's about 25% of revenues, and it was a subject of some of our conversation. Take a listen. Our China business reflects the growth we see in the rest of the world. We're seeing huge growth in the data center around uh, cloud computing, also with, with AI, and then EVs. Huge growth in China in terms of EVs. And China wants a lot of what the rest of the world needs. Power efficiency, software ecosystem, a lot of the same software that's used uh, across the world is used in China. So what we're seeing, uh, David, in terms of our China market growing, is largely around those two areas, data center and, uh, and uh, automotive. Now, in terms of the, the broader issues, I think I share the, the same headaches that just about every tech CEO does these days. Um, we comply, of course, with all the, the regulations that come down relative to export control, uh, if there's something that we need to adhere to, of course. But it's really uh, it's a, a tricky market to figure out just in general because of all the things that uh, are going on geopolitically. But broadly speaking, our China business has been doing very well. Yeah, uh, I want to get back to the business itself. But Masa, you know, your SoftBank owns a significant stake in the joint venture that I'm describing in China. You've obviously done business there. You were a very large holder of Alibaba for many years. What is your sense in terms of the risk that China poses, given the percentage of revenues that it uh, comprises for your company, for ARM, is quite high. U.S.-China is having a, a very complicated uh, situation now. The, uh, China has a significant you know, uh, impact to the economy of the rest of the world. Uh, so I think, uh, I hope uh, the situation gets better, but who knows? Uh, I just. I'm uh, one of the uh, citizens who is uh, wondering and, uh, you know, uh, concerned about the future of uh, China, U.S., and the rest of the world. Yeah. What, what do you hear? I mean, you have had relationships, deep relationships with uh, many people in the business community there. Um, how deep are your concerns? Not just in terms of the, of the back and forth between the U.S. and China, but also in terms of the regime itself and... and um, it's cracked down, so to speak, on entrepreneurship, if I could call it that. Well, uh, it's difficult to comment. <laughs> Whatever I comment, it goes into all kinds of headlines here and there. So I have to be careful what I say. But uh, uh, our exposure in China, SoftBank in, as a group, has reduced uh, significantly because uh, 
Uh, now, uh, you know, most of the shares in Alibaba from SoftBank is already sold. Uh, just again, to, to make the point clear, it's really an independent entity that operates in China. It's in the risk factors in the S1, and it's obviously a significant one, Jim, that investors are certainly at least focused on. There's opportunity there, but as you see, there's a lot to navigate uh, from Renee Haas's perspective in terms of U.S.-China, making sure you don't run afoul of any of what right. continue to be sort of changing rules. Yeah, I, I know that when you speak with NVIDIA, uh, they have so much business that right now it's not a problem. But I think long term, all these companies are going to get a lower, lower multiple if we don't do more business with China. Because China's been a giant consumer of everything. And I don't, I always hear, they'll bring it up before you even ask. Look, we are doing great. But if the government decides uh, that we are not supposed to do a lot of business in China, we won't. And that will hurt. Very matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, 25% of revenues, roughly speaking, oh, for ARM uh, out of China. Uh, so not out of line with, say, Tesla gets on auto no, revenue. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Um, but again, you can't control it. Now, SoftBank does own a significant equity stake in the joint venture that we're talking about here, but it operates independently. As we await the opening trade, uh, as David said, it's going to take a while. Let's talk with Leslie Picker at the NASDAQ. LP, what are you going to be watching for this morning? Carl, yeah, uh, waiting for those first indications to come through. Obviously, the choice to price at 51 is not something, at least in terms of the color that I'm hearing, not something that was taken lightly. For the better part of a week, they were kind of deciding between high end of the range, above the range. Ultimately, that oversubscription, that demand was really centered in the range that they were marketing. So ultimately, that uh, $51 a share is where they landed. And as you guys have been discussing all morning, it's it's pretty expensive on a relative basis, more than 100 times last year's earnings, which is about double its peers. So that's something investors were, you know, a little concerned about. If you push it and become too aggressive from there, do you still, are you still able to orchestrate that decent first day of trading performance? Well, Leslie, are you hearing a lot of people who are uh, retail investors really want to be in an AI play and they feel NVIDIA has moved, so therefore they're going to this one? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Jim, and I think that's the big wild card today. And kind of, and that goes back to the color on where to price it, because the wild card was where would retail fit in here? Because could you price it above the range and then have retail really come in in a big way and push it higher from there, especially if investors were balking more at you know that more aggressive pricing? That's the question that they're they're not so sure about. And since we haven't seen too many IPOs lately, we don't really know what the retail demand is for IPOs at this stage in the cycle. So that'll be really interesting to see how active of a participant retail is in this deal in particular. Leslie, I, I don't know if you're getting what color you're getting. You know, I heard that hedge funds have been paired back to a certain extent, which would be seen as a positive. Yep get more long onlys and more sovereign funds, perhaps they're longer term holders. Just curious as to, you know, what's going to represent success here, do you think, from the underwriter's perspective? Yeah, I agree. It's always about the quality of the book. The quality usually indicates those long onlys, the, as particularly the long onlys that tend to hold for a long period of time. They don't get in at the IPO, flip it, it goes up. It's that long standing relationship. So that's really critical. Also interesting in this deal, and we've talked about it a few times, is this $735 million worth of float that's been purchased by customers. That's AMD, Apple, Google, 
um, Intel and others that have agreed or expressed indications of interest to purchase at, you know, collectively $735 million worth of the float. So all of that is really good as you try and figure out the supply demand dynamics of these types of deals. It's only about a 9% float for this one, including those strategic investors. So pretty small relative to the overall size of the company on a fully diluted basis. Um, so we'll see, you know, when this when this starts trading. But there are a lot of a lot of risks, as you pointed out, with China, with valuation, with just the future prospects of, you know, the, the income statement and the ability to grow revenue and grow earnings from here as they've been shrinking the first six months of the year. Leslie, thanks. Uh, Leslie Picker will be chatting all morning long. Uh, Jim, we be following through on this on Monday when we get carts pricing. Thank you. Right. Now, and there's a piece in the Times today about how it's no longer about delivery as much as it is about software and advertising. Yeah, that made me feel like don't there's please don't go into that deal unless they really price it in the whole. David, this deal. Well, they did take Instacart right. value down, down dramatically yeah, from where like it was. But, yeah. David, uh, keep it in perspective. The last big deal that we had was Rivian, all right? That was an $11.93 billion offering, and retail went nuts for that. Yes. And they got really hurt. They did. They did. Uh, you remember when Rivian had over a $100 billion market value? Yeah, that was ill-advised. Um, that was a different time. You could yeah. imagine how that would appeal to people in a way that perhaps this is a little... You sound wistful about that time. I mean, listen, we could sit here and say that's not probably a good thing. You can see what, what we're talking about there before 21. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it people has, pay listen, a little too much enthusiasm there. Yeah, now it's a $22.4 billion market value. Not facing a UAW strike, though. No. No, that's a very good point. Yeah. It's really, we don't even talk about enough, is the battery part. The battery factories are on the firing line, too. Right. Because they're, you know, they're President Biden, the, the battery factories. Well, interesting so, uh, piece about Tesla today and this uh, apparent breakthrough they've made in pressing molds together, or the front and the rear mold, that would allow you to create entire underbodies in EVs for very little money compared to the legacies. Jeez, oh, it's just, it's, it's what a, the battleground for costs between Tesla and the other guys. David, it is just, well, you, you saw Musk. I mean, I did. it's an I saw unfair the advantage. It is, it, it, there's a lot more margin at Tesla. I yeah. think that's fair to say. Right. A lot it's more margin to play with too, conceivably. Very much so, yeah. Uh, we'll take a break here. Uh, Dow's up 150, just a few points shy of 4,500. We'll continue to watch ARM, stay on top of the markets as we continue to juggle some of the eco data, central banks, uh, labor disputes that we're getting today. Take a look at treasuries today. Uh, actually, some relatively tame behavior with uh, the 10 year still below four and a quarter, and the two year just south of five. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. I'm Sarah Eisen here at Success Academy in Midtown Manhattan. It's part of New York's largest charter school system, and I'm here because it is also a beneficiary of hedge fund titan Ken Griffin, founder of Citadel. He's donated more than $35 million here. He's here with me today, and we're going to talk to him about that, about the markets, the economy, inflation, and much more in the next hour of Squawk on the Street. We'll be right back with the Dow Triple Digits. It's time for Jim and Stuff Trading. There's some good news for the, both this, the uh, Business Roundtable and for Cisco. Chuck Robbins just named the chair of the Business Roundtable. Wow. I think that, yeah, he's Mary Barra. I, a lot of us, look, we're, it's not about friends. You know, it's about money. I always say that. But Chuck has done some amazing things. Uh, I think is well known as being maybe the most gracious 
uh, charitable company led by a guy who's doing it himself because it's just the way he thinks it should be. And I think he's just a terrific person to run this. And just came out. Actually, no one has it, I think. And I'm excited for Chuck, excited for the business around that. was a great choice. Yeah, it's interesting to see uh, who's speaking for corporates going into an election year. Isn't it something? I mean, you've got a guy, I don't know if he's Democrat or Republican. I know he's a Falcon fan. That's all I know. And good luck. Actually, the Falcons, they have a good team this year. I shouldn't say that. They have good running back. Good well, coach. We need some. We need some t- teams to surprise on the upside. Yes, after and I think it is going to be the Falcons. Yeah. And Chuck deserves that. It's long suffering. <laughs> uh, how about tonight, Jim? Okay, so uh, I got to go in a uh, cruise with no driver and Kyle. Kyle Vote and I just had a great time. Kyle runs cruise. I think you're going to love this. This is a piece that was one of the most fun pieces I've done since we started. Really. Yeah, I just... You were impressed. Five cities now, ten more cities coming. I felt like... It's happening. Like, it's finally I happening. I thought, I said, listen, I'd like to put together a consortium and buy a bunch of these and use them as ride share because there is going to be an ROI. Yeah, there's a guy named Musk who has a similar idea for uh, for his automobiles. I mean, it's right. the first time I've ever been in the same sentence as Musk since he called me a, a hologram. Well. Yeah, yeah, to some degree, yeah. This yeah. is an exciting story. Congratulations, Chuck. So, I'm really thrilled for it. But it's Waymo and Cruz mostly. It's San Fran. That's, that's yeah, what's on the street. Yeah, but uh, Cruz is, you know, there's, I've got to tell you, they're everywhere. And people don't think of them as special at all. Mine was named Noki. Everyone's named. So freaked me Mine out was Noki. when I saw it pull up next to by Noki? You're freaking Nobody out by driving Nokia. that car. Well, no. It's no. Yeah, boy, to see the bus. <laughs> There's no steering wheel. Yep. Okay. No wheel. Jim, can't wait. I'll uh, see you tonight at 6. Mad Money, of course. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.